0: Section five of the Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Baringold. Section five. The Leaden Ring. Part one. It is not possible, Julia i cannot conceive how the idea of attending the county ball can have entered your head after what has happened poor young Hattersley's dreadful death suffices to stop that but aunt mr Hattersley is no relation of ours no relation but you know that the poor fellow would not have shot himself if it had not been for you oh aunt elizabeth how can you say so when the verdict was that he committed suicide when in an unsound condition of mind. How could I help his blowing out his brains when those brains were deranged? "'Julia, do not talk like this. If he did go off his head, it was you who upset him by first drawing him on, leading him to believe that you liked him, and then throwing him over so soon as the Honorable James Lawler appeared on the tapers. Consider—' What will people say if you go to the assembly? What will they say if I do not go? They will immediately set it down to my caring deeply for James Hattersley, and they will think that there was some sort of engagement. They are not likely to suppose that. But really, Julia, you were for a while all smiles and encouragement. Tell me now, did Mr. Hattersley propose to you? Well, yes, he did, and I refused him. And then he went and shot himself in despair. Julia, you cannot with any face go to the ball. Nobody knows that he proposed. And precisely because I do go, everyone will conclude that he did not propose. I do not wish it to be supposed that he did. His family, of course, must have been aware. They will see your name among those present at the assembly. And— They are in too great trouble to look at the paper to see who were at the dance. His terrible death lies at your door. How can you have the heart, Julia? I don't see it. Of course I feel it. I am awfully sorry and awfully sorry for his father, the Admiral. I cannot set him up again. I wish that, when I rejected him, he had gone and done as did Joe Pomeroy, marry one of his landlady's daughters there julia is another of your delinquencies you lured young pomeroy till he proposed then you refused him and in a fit of vexation and mortified vanity, he married a girl greatly beneath him in social position if the minage prove a failure you will have it on your conscience that you have wrecked his life and perhaps hers as well i cannot throw myself away as a charity to save this man or that from doing a foolish thing "'What I complain of, Julia, is that you encouraged young Mr. Pomeroy till Mr. Hattersley appeared, whom you thought more eligible, and then you tossed him aside, and you did precisely the same with James Hattersley as soon as he came to know Mr. Lawler. After all, Julia, I am not so sure that Mr. Pomeroy has not chosen the better part. The girl, I dare say, is simple, fresh, and affectionate.' Your implication is not complimentary, Aunt Elizabeth, my dear. I have no patience with the young lady of the present day who is shallow, self-willed, and indifferent to the feelings and happiness of others, who craves for excitement and pleasure and desires nothing that is useful and good. Where now will you see a girl like Viola's sister who let concealment like a worm in the bud feed on her damask cheek? Nowadays a girl lays herself at the feet of a man if she likes him, turns herself inside out to let him and all the world read her heart. I have no relish to be like Viola's sister, and have my story a blank. I never groveled at the feet of Joe Pomeroy or James Hattersley. No, but you let each to consider himself the favoured one till he proposed, and then you refused him. It was like smiling at a man and then stabbing him to the heart. Well, I don't want people to think that James Hattersley cared for me. I certainly never cared for him, nor that he proposed. So I shall go to the ball. Julia demands was an orphan. She had been retained at school till she was eighteen, and then had been removed just at the age when a girl begins to take an interest in her studies, and not to regard them as drudgery. On her removal she had cast away all that she had acquired, and had been plunged into the whirl of society. Then suddenly her father died, she had lost her mother some years before, and she went to live with her aunt, Miss Fleming julia had inherited a sum of about five hundred pounds a year and would probably come in for a good estate and funds as well on the death of her aunt she had been flattered as a girl at home and at school as a beauty and she certainly thought no small bones of herself miss fleming was an elderly lady with a sharp tongue very outspoken and very decided in her opinions but her action was weak and julia soon discovered that she could bend the aunt to do anything she willed though she could not modify or alter her opinions in the matter of joe pomeroy and james hattersley it was as miss fleming had said julia had encouraged mr pomeroy and had only cast him off because she thought better of the suit of mr hattersley son of an admiral of that name she had seen a good deal of young hattersley had given him every encouragement and so entangled him that he was madly in love with her and then when she came to know the honourable james Lawlor and saw that he was fascinated she rejected hattersley with the consequences alluded to in the conversation above given Julia was particularly anxious to be present at the county ball, for she had been already booked with Mr. Lawler for several dances, and she was quite resolved to make an attempt to bring him to a declaration. On the evening of the ball, Miss Fleming and Julia entered the carriage. The aunt had given way, as was her wont, but under protest. For about ten minutes neither spoke, and then Miss Fleming said— "'Well, you know my feelings about this dance. I do not approve. I distinctly disapprove. I do not consider your going to the ball in any good taste, or, as you would put it, in good form. Poor young Hattersley! Oh, dear aunt, do let us put young Hattersley aside. He was buried with the regular forms, I suppose.' "'Yes, Julia?' Then the rector accepted the verdict of the jury at the inquest. "'Why should not we?' A man who is unsound in his mind is not responsible for his actions. I suppose not. Much less than I, who live ten miles away. I do not say that you are responsible for his death, but for the condition of mind that led him to do the dreadful deed. Really, Julia, you are one of those into whose head or heart only by a surgical operation could the thought be introduced that you could be in the wrong. A hypodermic syringe would be too weak an instrument to effect such a radical change in you. Everyone else may be in the wrong. You never. As for me, I cannot get young Hattersley out of my head. And I, retorted Julia with asperity, for her aunt's words had stung her, I, for my part, do not give him a thought. She had hardly spoken the words before a chill wind began to pass around her. She drew the barge shawl that was over her bare shoulders closer about her and said, Auntie, is the glass down on your side? No, Julia. Why do you ask? There is such a draught. Draught? I do not feel one. Perhaps the window on your side hitches. Indeed, that is all right. It is blowing harder and is deadly cold. Can one of the front panes be broken? "'No. Rogers would have told me had that been the case. Besides, I can see that they are sound.' The wind of which Julia complained swirled and whistled about her. It increased in force, it plucked at the shawl and slewed it about her throat, it tore at the lace on her dress, it snatched at her hair, it wrenched it away from the pins, the combs that held it in place, one long tress was lashed across the face of miss fleming then the hair completely released eddied up above the girl's head and next moment was carried as a drift before her blinding her then a sudden explosion as though a gun had been fired in her ear and with a scream of terror she sank back among the cushions miss fleming in great alarm pulled the check-string and the carriage stopped. The footman descended from the box and came to the side. The old lady drew down the window and said, "'Oh, Phillips, bring the lamp. Something has happened to Miss Demond.' The man obeyed, and sent a flood of light into the carriage. Julia was lying back, white and senseless. Her hair was scattered over her face, neck and shoulders. The flowers that had been stuck in it, the pins that had fastened it in place, the pads that had given shape to the convulsions lay strewn some on her lap, some on the rug at the bottom of the carriage. Phillips ordered the old lady in great agitation, tell rogers to turn the horses and drive home at once, and you run as fast as you can to dr Crate. A few minutes after the carriage was again in motion, julia revived her aunt was chafing her hand oh aunt she said are all the glasses broken broken what glasses those of the carriage with the explosion explosion my dear yes that gun which was discharged it stunned me were you hurt i heard no gun. "'No explosion. "'But I did. "'It was as though a bullet had been discharged into my brain. "'I wonder that I escaped. "'Who can have fired at us?' "'My dear, no one fired. "'I heard nothing. "'I know what it was. "'I had the same experience many years ago. "'I slept in a damp bed "'and awoke stone deaf in my right ear. "'I remained so for three weeks.' but one night, when I was at a ball and was dancing, all at once I heard a report of a pistol in my right ear, and immediately heard quite clearly again. It was wax. But Aunt Elizabeth, I have not been deaf. You have not noticed that you are deaf. Oh, but look at my hair. It was that wind that blew it about. You are laboring under a delusion, Julia. There was no wind but look, feel how my hair is down. That has been done by the motion of the carriage. There are many ruts in the road. They reached home, and Julia, feeling sick, frightened, and bewildered, retired to bed. Dr. Craig arrived, said that she was hysterical, and ordered something to soothe her nerves. Julia was not convinced. The explanation offered by Miss Fleming did not satisfy her. That she was a victim to hysteria she did not in the least believe. Neither her aunt, nor the coachman, nor Phillips had heard the discharge of a gun. As to the rushing wind, Julia was satisfied that she had experienced it. The lace was ripped, as by a hand, from her dress, and the shawl was twisted about her throat. Besides, Her hair had not been so slightly arranged that the jolting of the carriage would completely disarrange it. She was vastly perplexed over what she had undergone. She thought and thought, but could get no nearer to a solution of the mystery. The next day, as she was almost herself again, she arose and went about as usual. In the afternoon the Honorable James Lawler called and asked after Miss Fleming, The butler replied that his mistress was out making calls, but that Miss Demand was at home, and, he believed, was on the terrace. Mr. Lawler at once asked to see her. He did not find Julia in the parlour or on the terrace, but in a lower garden to which she had descended to feed the goldfish in the pond. "'Oh, Miss Demand,' said he, "'I was so disappointed not to see you at the ball last night.' I was very unwell. I had a fainting fit and could not go. It threw a damp on our spirits, that is to say, on mine. I had you booked for several dances. You were able to give them to others. But that was not the same to me. I did an act of charity and self-denial. I danced instead with the ugly Miss Burgens, and with a Miss pounding and that was like dragging about a sack of potatoes. I believe it would have been a jolly evening, but for that shocking affair of young Hattersley, which kept some of the better sort away. I mean, those who know the Hattersleys. Of course, for me that did not matter. We were not acquainted. I never even spoke with the fellow. You knew him, I believe. I heard some people say so, and that you had not come because of him. The supper, for a subscription ball, was not atrociously bad. What did they say of me? Oh, if you will know, that you did not attend the ball because you liked him very much, and were awfully cut up. I, I, what a shame that people should talk. I never cared a rush for him. He was nice enough in his way, not a bounder, but tolerable as young men go. Mr. Lawler laughed. I should not relish to have such a qualified estimate made of me. Nor need you. You are interesting. He became so only when he had shot himself. It will be by this alone that he will be remembered. But there is no smoke without fire. Did he like you... much? Dear Mr. Lawler, I am not a clairvoyant, and was never able to see into the brains and hearts of people, less of all of young men. Perhaps it is fortunate for me that I cannot. One lady told me that he had proposed to you. Who was that? The potato sack? I will not give her name. Is there any truth in it? Did he? No at the moment she spoke there sounded in her ear a whistle of wind and she felt a current like a cord of ice creep round her throat increasing in force and compression her head was blown off and next instant a detonation rang through her head as though a gun had been fired into her ear she uttered a cry and sank upon the ground james lawler was bewildered his first impulse was to run to the house for assistance. Then he considered that he could not leave her lying on the wet soil and He stooped to raise her in his arms and to carry her within in novels. Young men perform such feats without difficulty, but in fact they are not able to do it, especially when the girl is tall and big-boned. Moreover, one in a faint is dead weight. Lawler staggered under his burden to the steps. It was as much as he could perform to carry her up to the terrace, and there he placed her on a seat. Panting, and with his muscles quivering after the strain, he hastened to the drawing-room, rang the bell, and when the butler appeared, he gasped. Miss Demond has fainted. You and I and the footman must carry her within. She fainted last night in the carriage, said the butler. End of Section 5.